It's not hard to blow things out of proportion, don't you think? Do you know anybody who's always looking for a calamity waiting to happen? It's easiest to blow things out of proportion when your heart gets involved. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Picture this. Young man holds a fistful of flowers out to the girl working behind the ice cream counter. He'd seen her at school a few months earlier. He'd worked up the courage to talk to her at last. As he holds out the flowers, she tries to hide it, but a big smile breaks out on her face. So he asks her if he can give her a ride home after work. She agrees. He had gotten those flowers from a garden in someone's yard nearby. He's a high school kid. He couldn't barely afford ice cream. But as they drive home, they listen to James Taylor together. She grabs his hand. And then they stop before getting to her house. And they walk down to the river, out onto a dock, and they share a first kiss under the stars. It feels to him like the whole world has opened up to him. In school, he's walking down the hall one afternoon, and as she comes toward him, he says hello, but it's as if she doesn't even hear him. She walks right past him like she she hasn't even seen him, and then her friend gives him a note. Kristen doesn't want to be your girlfriend anymore. And it feels like my heart has been ripped out of my chest. Did I mention I was that kid? Don't feel so bad for me. Wait till the story ends. For a whole year, I pine over that girl. I say no to invitations to spend time with friends. I drive my car to the places we used to be together by myself, and I sit there and I cry. I choose to listen to Cindy Lauper time after time, <laughs> over and over again. I bring this on myself. But the thing about it that's so remarkable is that we only dated for a week. That's what it looks like to blow things out of proportion. And that's a habit that I wish I could say I left behind. But when I'm honest, I can see even today that I still engage in that habit. Would anyone else here admit to the same? Yeah. Yeah. What you need and what I'm going to give you today is perspective. You need to be able to weigh the reality of what you're facing clearly instead of getting yourself dragged emotionally, spiritually, mentally into blowing things out of proportion. And I'm going to give you what amounts to some good guidance and good advice, but even beyond that, and much more importantly, the perspective that opens up for every person who will put herself, put himself into the hands of Jesus. And this is for the most profound suffering that any person can experience alongside those little things that we blow out of proportion, that ruin our lives day after day. I want you to look at this statement of faith from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Chapter 8, it's going to just be one verse, and I'm giving this to you this morning as a statement to take to heart, because I know what it can do if you will open your heart to it. This is Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of about to be revealed to us. This is an assessment about the challenges that we face right now 
which declares that compared to the goodness that's coming down the road, what we are going through, no matter how bad it is, is like nothing. That is a statement of faith that puts on one side the reality of the challenges that we are vexed by. And aside, what are you struggling with? Whatever it is, you let that come into your heart for a moment. This is a statement which declares that compared to what's coming, that thing that's in your mind right now or your heart is like nothing. Do you engage in the habit of blowing things out of proportion? I need you to help me. Yes or no? Let's start with some honest self-assessment. Look at the phrase there. The sufferings of this present time. What are you suffering through? Now, I know we don't like to think about the big things, so let's start with the little things. Can we do that right now? Are there any little things which get under your skin so that the people around you tell you you're blowing this out of proportion? Do you have anything like that in your life? Would you be honest about it? Don't look at your spouse that obviously. My goodness. (laughs) The truth is, it's easiest to see in other people. And if you're a parent of young children, think right now, about homework time. I I can tell there's no one whose children were as tortured by homework as mine were. I would have groaned out loud just then. It's like the opposite of an amen in church. When homework came around and our kids were younger, it was like the gravest injustice imaginable that they should have to suffer through fractions. Or, Or the fact that grammar rules had to be memorized was like torture. There was nothing worse to them. Can you picture your kids blowing things out of proportion? Nobody can? Okay, would you be honest enough to say that you blow it out of proportion when they blow it out of proportion? Do you lose it too? Of course. Maybe it is a little thing that you need to adjust this morning, that God wants you to shift your approach to. Maybe it's what's going to happen when you're on your way home, you get on Route 78 in the fast lane, and someone's going too slow in the left lane. Does anybody else get annoyed by that? There are signs every quarter of a mile. It says, you know, keep right unless you're passing. Can you read? Sorry. Right. I, I mean, my heart rate right now is going up. How about this? How about the dishes and the laundry yeah, yeah. And, and you let it get you to the place where you've become someone that you don't want to be. Maybe, maybe it's that one subject. Every time it gets brought up in conversation, your blood pressure goes up, you start to lose it and you have actually burned a few bridges talking about that and now you're like a person who's angry way more than you want to be. Maybe it's a little thing like that. Maybe it's something bigger. Uh, I don't want to minimize the small things because our lives are made up of a whole series of small things. And Jesus does not want us to be people who become completely useless because the small things keep us miserable all the time. But there are big things too. Maybe your kids are grown up and they are in a place that you know is not the right place. And now you don't enjoy any of your life because you're always thinking about how badly things are going for them. Listen, I know a lot of folks deal with that. Maybe... At work, you've applied yourself, you've done the best that you can, but your work environment is unjust and you're being treated unfairly and it has nothing to do with your performance and it is ruining 
your, your, your mindset. Maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe there are family members who you used to get along with, but once things shifted politically, you stopped talking to them. They blocked you on Facebook. You don't want them to come over to your house. They won't welcome you. I just read an article recently that just one after another, it was stories of people who'd lost their friends, longtime friends that they loved. Because once politics started to divide people, it pulled them apart. Maybe it's conflicts with your spouse that aren't just fussy, but they've alienated you to the point that the whole thing's going to fall to pieces. Can you see yourself blowing things out of proportion right now? Suffering in the present. Now, this is the challenge. More than you need to because of the way you're looking at it. That's hard to admit. And it's hard to admit because once this inclination becomes habitual in us, we do it without being aware of it. That is, we don't know we're doing it, but we are. The people around us might know we're doing it, and we think there's something wrong with them. But we ourselves are caught up, listen now, making it rain inside of our own heads, bringing the bad weather from our hearts. Why did I have to listen to Cindy Lauper? That's such a sad song. The whole dynamic when you're doing this, whether, whether with small things or big things, it all depends on a distortion of reality that you need to see yourself engaging in. And I'm going to ask you now to let yourself uh, be the subject of examination. Let this light fall on you. There are three ways that you are distorting reality whenever you're blowing things out of proportion. The first way is when you let one thing uh, become all things. Whenever that problem there is got you in its grips and it tugs you in and you narrow your focus on it, what you miss is that there are all kinds of other things around you, but you let your well-being in this instance be determined by that one thing that's wrong and then you're losing it. But you're losing it because you are treating that one thing as if it's all things, okay? One girl says, I don't want to be yours anymore. And I think I could never be loved again by anybody. A friend mistreats you at school and it hurts really badly. And you shouldn't have been treated like that. But there's going to be a part of you that's going to want to say, that's because there's something wrong with me and I must always be inevitably treated like that. The enemy, there is an enemy, a spiritual power in the world that wants you to suffer. And one of the ways it's going to do that is to trick you into thinking that one thing is all things. Your boss points out just one thing that needs improvement in your work life, and you just think, well, I'm a failure, and I'm never going to succeed in this field at all. Or more nefarious, your spouse says, I just wish this one thing would change. And it feels to you like they're rejecting you as a person altogether. You are blowing it out of proportion by letting one thing become all things. Now, once you do that, and you start to get involved in that kind of pattern, the next step is that this narrow focus is going to lead to a second distortion. And it is that small things become big things when you behave like this. When it's the only thing I'm looking at, my focus draws me closer to it. And as I get closer, it appears larger and everything else around me diminishes in my mind, in my heart. It diminishes in its importance because I've made everything else look small. And again, I know all about this because I, I do this. That one negative comment from the friend eclipses every positive thing he's ever said to me. And it's all I can think of. 
and it becomes a huge thing. I see some of you nodding. You've experienced this too, right? I remember when I was young, if I had a, a weekend ahead of me, if there were two hours of homework, I was so tortured by those two that they lasted longer than the 30 hours that I wasted worrying about the homework before I got to it. Anybody else do that? Yes. The problem is a distortion that comes when you narrow your focus and get so close to it that it feels like it's everything. It's this big thing. Now, once you do that, you magnify your problems by getting close to them. The third distortion, it's virtually inevitable. Once you get that close, you lose track of time so that temporary things become permanent things. I remember the grief of heartache. I thought it would always feel like this. It did not last forever. But I, in that moment, I would not have been able to believe otherwise because that temporary pain in my mind and heart became eternal. It will always be like this. Once you experience this displeasure now and you've made it bigger than it is and you've made it the only thing, well, then your mind is gonna tell you, get used to this. This is life from now on. And you incorrectly project this present suffering into the future. Whenever you blow things out of proportion, you are engaged in all three distortions. Can you admit to doing that? Okay, please listen now. Do not be discouraged because the truth is, and this is just practical, all right? I can just tell you this. The truth is, one thing is never all things. I was hoping somebody would be like, amen. <laughs> Secondly, the things are never as big as you think they are. And then thirdly, right now feels like forever, but it's not forever. Things are going to change. And that's good practical advice, don't you think? Yeah, it is. You could take that to heart, and for most of the things that you suffer through, you'd be absolutely fine. This is where I get excited about what's coming in this message. Because I know enough to know that a lot of the things that you suffer through can't be touched by good advice. You need more than that. Isn't that true? Yes. Absolutely. You need not just some enthusiastic caffeine-fueled pastor to tell you it's going to be okay. You need God. You need God's word. And, I, and here I'm not, this is me being as serious as I can. You need to hear from God himself. I have listened for decades to the grief and misery and suffering that people who are giving their whole hearts to following Jesus still have to live with. And for those people, I have a word from God that comes through this statement of faith. Let me add, if you're not a person of faith and you're not sure you want to give yourself to Jesus, you should. You should whatever holds you back, if you're not certain, you don't know what he thinks of you, let me tell you, he loves you more than you could dare dream or even imagine. And all of the misery that you face in your life will be compounded and rooted forever until you open your hands and turn yourself over to him. You should should do that right now in your heart. If you've done that before and you've reclaimed yourself and lots of us do that, then once again, in this moment, picture your own spirit in your hands and open that fist of yours and let yourself be put into the hands of God. And there in his hands, you can receive what you need, which is beyond good advice, which is perspective that is divine. Divine perspective. Now, don't hold back, and this is for you right now. Don't hold back. 
What is the thing that you are suffering through right now? Look at that phrase that Paul wrote again, the sufferings of this time. A lot of times, people carry things that they hide from almost everybody, and especially from people within the community of faith, because maybe they've learned that you're not supposed to feel the way that they feel in this moment, and so lonely they come to this place carrying something that they can't carry and they can't manage. When Paul wrote those words, the suffering of this present time, he was not just thinking of vague ideas. He was suffering. You go back one chapter in this letter, and it's, here's what he says about himself. He says this, wretched man that I am. He looks at himself, and he says, I'm wretched. And he says it for a reason, because he knows as a follower of Christ, he knows exactly the good things that he should be doing. He knows exactly the bad things that he should not be doing anymore. And yet, he's always doing the bad things and he's not able to do the good things. And he looks at himself and he says, who will deliver me, this wretched man that I am? Have you ever felt like that? If you have, this guy knows what that feels like. Anybody who struggled with an addiction that they feel ashamed of, you are in the same boat as the man who wrote these words. He'll go on after this chapter to bring up a subject that breaks his heart. I mean, it really breaks his heart. He thinks about his fellow Jews who are the people that God elected from all the way back with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He knows that the covenant was given to those people. They had the law of God. They were given, it was given to them. And yet they cannot accept the Messiah. And for Paul, that is so grievous. He actually says, I wish I could change places with them and be cut off from God for their sake. Have you ever labored under the grief of having a beloved family member or friend reject Jesus? Yes? Paul knows exactly what that's like too. That's in his mind here as well. And get this, you know who he wrote this letter to? This one's an easy one. It's right up there on the screen. He wrote it to the people in Rome. Has anyone here ever visited Rome? Raise your hand if you visited Rome. I bet you went to the Colosseum, didn't you? When you were there, I was there. It was remarkable how big it was, right? And you thought this is like an ancient football stadium. It's amazing. And then the tour guide says, you see that stone post in the middle? That's where they used to tie up people who believed in Jesus and the crowds watched the lions eat them alive. That is profoundly disgusting. And it was the reality through which the people who lived in Rome and followed Jesus had to live. So this is not a man who uses the word suffering to mean how hard it is to be behind someone who's driving too slow in the fast lane. And I say that, I say that to shed light on myself. That's one of the things I get annoyed at. But there are a hundred other things that I get annoyed at. And this is more important for me to say to you right now. There are other things that I have lived through and still live with that cause my heart to want to despair because they're too hard. They are not, they're not one little thing they're one really big thing. They're not something that I'm making bigger than it is. They're huge. Some of them, and I know you are gonna, you're facing this now. Some of them are not temporary. When someone you love dies, 
I've stood in the graveyard with some of you. I've listened to people share what they face, people who believe in Jesus and trust him. It's a miracle that my heart keeps going. My heart, I'm a compassionate person. Someone asked me on Friday, how do you manage? And I said, it's a miracle. And, 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 and let me say it more precisely now. The, the miracle is actually right here. It is the perspective that God miraculously puts in a heart that is sensitive to this present suffering. That can look at life really and trust the miracle that the Holy Spirit means to give birth to in your heart and in my heart too. And right now, I'm sure of this, God the Holy Spirit is here and present and wanting your heart to be open to this perspective so that it can receive the gift that you need so that you don't blow things out of proportion. And I'm not talking about little things, even big things. And the gift is perspective. And what Paul would say is the only way to look at suffering truly. This is, this is a statement of faith. He would say this, the only way not to distort reality is to let the suffering stare you full in the face and right beside it, you have to look at something else, which is right there in the text. It's the glory about to be revealed to us. You never have the right perspective on suffering until right beside it, you have the future, which is impossibly good, right beside it. How good? So good that it has the power in this present to drag you through whatever Whatever you have to suffer through, no matter what it is, that glory to be revealed promises to carry you forward so that if you would entrust yourself into Jesus' hands, you would know, listen now, the eternal ending, even though you have no idea what tomorrow brings. I'm gonna say the truth. You might not like it. Tomorrow might get better. It also could get worse. You don't like that, do you? I hated saying it. I hate believing it, but I also know that the end is so good that you and I can't even guess yet. What is ahead of us that is this good? Paul goes on to say it as he continues in verse 19 with these words. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Creation itself right now is looking down the road and anticipating something that it longs to see. When I said creation, that's because it says right here, creation. And the whole entire universe is eager for things to change. Have you ever been eager for things to change? Of course you have. Here we learn that the whole creation is actually anticipating what hasn't happened yet, but which will happen sometime. And you know you are a part of creation. And so you and I and every person, we are all also longing for something that would come down the road that hasn't come to us yet. What is it? Look again at it. It is the revealing of the children of God. That means that you don't know yet who you are and you long to know and someday you will. And who are you? Listen, the world wants you to believe you're your achievements or you're how popular you are or what other people think of you. None of it's true. You, 
You are the son of the most high. You are his daughter. You are the child of God. Why? Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he sealed your adoption as his child. And all of your life is ruined as you ask, well, who am I? And and does God really care about me? And, And is he close or has he forgotten me? Right now, the only way for you to answer that positively is through faith. You have to believe it. You have to hope for it. You have to trust it. Here we learn that one day you won't have to believe or trust or hope because you'll know it. Isn't it? Here, try to picture this. What it felt like when you were eight years old and it was Thanksgiving and you got to go over to grandma's house and you went up and she was busy in the kitchen, but she left what she was cooking to sit on the couch and you sat in her lap and she wrapped you up in your arms and something in you knew it doesn't get better than this. Do you remember that? I do. I remember especially the smell of pierogies from the kitchen. (laughs) And there was a crock pot with sauerkraut and kielbasa and caraway seeds in it nearby too. I knew who I was in her arms. You you can barely guess right now, even in your best moment, when you thought, I'm so glad God loves me. That will be nothing at all compared to what it will be like when it's revealed who the children of God are. You know what else is going to happen when that's revealed? Other people will also know who you are. And the only reason anyone's ever been mean to you is they didn't know who you were. The only reason someone rejected you when they should have loved you is they had your identity wrong. Every act of cruelty, all the malice in the world, all the wickedness that people do to each other, it's all rooted in not knowing who we're dealing with. One day that will also be made clear. So war will end forever. Violence, cruelty, malevolence, gone. It won't even be, you can't even remember it. All of that down the road, all of it will be gone forever and we will know that we are brothers and sisters in the one who gave himself for us and reconciled the world to himself in Jesus Christ because of the grace that he poured out on the creation that was turning away from him. Amen. It gets even better. In verse 21, not only will the reality of our identity as God's children be revealed. Look at verse 21. This is also going to happen that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Everything in creation will also be set free. And right now, the world that we're in is not free. It's still stuck in bondage to sin and decay. And so storms come and steal everything. Natural disasters wipe people out who didn't do anything to deserve it. The world is broken and disease comes and you get a negative diagnosis that goes from bad to worse. Illness steals love. And that also will be gone forever when this glory is revealed. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) What Paul does next is so simple. He says, if you were to set these two things on a table side by side, the glory to be revealed on the one hand and and this present suffering on the other, and then you had to say, how do these two relate to one another? Three words. They're up there. Look, not worth comparing. In, In college, I studied physics. And one of the things that we often did when comparing quantities was we came across a number that to us seemed big, but in the scale of the universe was 
infinitesimal. That's a good word, right? It's so small, it's like nothing. And you might look at that number and say, well, that's a big number. No, compared to the universe, it's infinitesimal. It's nothing. If you're a visual person, try this out. A million dollars, that's a lot of money, don't you think? If you had a million dollars in $100 bills and you stacked those $100 bills on top of one another, how high do you think the stack would be to add up to a million? 43 inches. That's a pretty big stack of hundreds, right? 43 inches? These guys are shaking. They've made a bet on it. <laughs> Listen now, that's a lot of money. Compared to the national debt, it's not even worth comparing because to get to the national debt with hundreds, the stack would be 21,000 miles high. Now we're thinking about politics and the national debt. But listen, but listen. Whatever you came in here with, and I am smart enough to know that I can't understand how hard your suffering is. I know that. It's like 43 inches and the glory that will be revealed when the children of God are freed and the, all of creation is liberated, that's over 21,000 miles. So here's what you should do. The first thing you should do is you should commit Romans 8.18 to memory. And then every time you face challenges, say it. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is about to be revealed to us. And you have to be disciplined here. You have to work at it. Say it. It's God's word. God's word is meant to be treasured up in your heart. Now, you might be in the midst of suffering and repeating that and still feel just the same. If that happens, ask God to help that word of his bear fruit in your heart. Say, God, I need you to help this come home to me and, 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 and repeat it. That's the first thing I'll say to you. Here's the second thing. And, and this is especially for the person who this morning's feeling pretty strong but thinking of someone else who's not doing well, you should believe this truth for that other person that God has put in your life who's not doing well. And you should hang around them and give them the space to talk about how hard it is. And while they're talking about it, you should be repeating that scripture in your own mind. Don't say it out loud yet, but you say it for them while you're with them. That they don't know it yet, but that's the truth. And pray for them. Pray that God would help them know it. So if you're doing relatively well right now, would you, would you make an agreement that you'll do that? Can someone show me they'll do that? Because the, the, that person needs you to do it. And the reason I know that, I know it, is because someone did that for me. And that's my third, it's a challenge to you. I'm actually asking you to do this. Be ready to say this out loud to somebody. You gotta be careful. Right? Sometimes Christians are too quick to say something that makes the person who's suffering feel like, well, I guess they're upset with me for not feeling more cheerful in this moment. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah. yeah. He didn't, this friend of mine did not do that. This was back in 2006, 7, 8. I can't remember the year because it was so hard. But it was one of those seasons in life for me where it felt like this one thing that I was living through was in fact everything. And it was important enough to be that. It was awful. And it wasn't, a, a small thing that I was making bigger. It was a big thing. It involved loss that was never coming back and loss of uh, people in my life who were the most beloved people. You live through that. It's not gonna get better. I told my friend about it and he just listened. Now, I'm sure what he was doing while I was telling him is repeating this passage in his mind and praying, God, help Christian trust this and believe it. 
And, and then I think what happened is the Spirit told him, you say it out loud to Christian, because he did. It was my friend uh, Chris Russell from the United Kingdom, a pastor out there. I'd met him years ago, and it was the first time we were together in the United States. And he said, Christian. He listens to what I said. He said, I consider that the suffering of this present time, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that's about to be revealed. And what happened is God turned my heart away from the distortions toward the truth, which is in this, and the light, which was really far off. And it still is. It will be for a long time. That light drew me forward. It's the only reason I can stand before you this morning and offer this message. God wants you to have the perspective that comes with the glory. The question is, will you be open to it? Yes or no, that's it. Will you? Good. All right. Let's pray. God, everyone in this room has lived through something that's too much. All of us will face down the road challenges that are beyond us. We don't like to think about it, but we know it's true. I thank you for this statement of faith that we were able to consider together this morning. The statement that promises the glory that is ahead when it becomes clear what the consequences actually are of Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, what those actually are. When that's made known to us, we will laugh about all of the ways we got caught up in things that seemed so big and forever. Please let this word bear good fruit in our hearts so that between now and that end down the road, we will be people of hope. We will be people who persevere through difficult things. We will be people of perspective rather than blowing things out of proportion. Use anything that grows in us to bless the people around you, by, around us by bringing them close to you. We want to be a church that sees many people come to know you and give their lives to you in Christ. Build us up, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.